You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Crump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and the SoundCloud today. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always, back in the New York group, is Mike, the Cranky Fan. Grump, a fantastic weekend. My two teams go on the road, pull victory out of the jaws of defeat. Um, we're, we're doing a special Sunday night taping, so I am on fumes right now but the adrenaline said let's let's do this tonight while we're still basking in the glow of our uh, our victory the cleveland browns and the detroit lions are popping champagne that we will not be joining them at 0 16 yeah <laughs> i'm popping that champagne <laughs> um well I'm, I'm i'm hoping that you all got to see the game if you didn't i'm sure you know by now the giants are one and two with a victory over the Houston Texans 27 to 22. I watched the whole game from a bar and if you followed me on Twitter at football underscore grump you were aware of that. Um, I'm not sure where you watched it Mike. I actually was I watched the first half on a plane and the second half I stayed at LaGuardia and stayed in the Sky Club and watched the second half there. A uh, little tidbit for you travelers if you go to the Sky Club it's like going to a sports bar but for free. Because the beer is free, so. Wow, really? <laughs> you get to watch with interesting cast of characters who think you're really interested in, you know, the Kansas City Chief game or the Baltimore Raven game, and you just don't really give a shit. But you know, they'll talk your ear off. So, you know, strange, uh, you know, environments to watch. So, you know, I might not have all of my numbers 100% because I was watching in little odd places, but uh, you know, saw every every snap. That's, that's good. And um, like you said, it's a special Sunday night taping. Be sure to follow us on iTunes and SoundCloud so that you can get all these strange Monday morning episodes instead of Tuesday morning. You won't even need the announcement. You'll just see it right there uh, on your subscription. Yeah, in your feed. It's fantastic. Um, so neither one of us predicted this as a win. Uh, I predicted that we would perform a lot better but still lose in a close game. I, I mean, they jumped out real early. I, by halftime, what was it, twenty to six? Yeah, I mean, well, let's 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 back up a little bit. You know, the kind of the surprise announcement that Eric Flowers would no longer be starting, and Chad Wheeler would be taking his place at right tackle. You know, we never had a chance really to discuss what our thoughts would that be. You know, I I think our kind of our thought before this was. You know, beware of the unknown, and you know it can get worse in Eric Flowers. Yes. Um, and you know something, from a position as a overall unit, they obviously played much better. But Chad Wheeler did not play well, in my opinion. I mean, again, I get it; it's J.J. Watt, but in that second half, when they stopped giving him some chip protection from the tight ends, it was a sieve. And you know. I don't know if this is a one-game benching or it's just is going to be going forward because of the success of the entire line. But uh, it's something I'm still very, very, very concerned about going forward. Of course, yeah, and and I want to use this moment to clarify before we get too much into the Chad Wheeler analysis. But you know, in the past when I've said that they're starting Eric Flowers, is he he's better than Chad Wheeler? 
That's not my assessment. That's the coach's assessment. If at any point during the season the coaches bench one player for another, I assume then that they see something in practice where they see an improvement. And that goes for any position, any player. So when they march Eric Flowers out there, an, an organization that has no ties to him, that did not draft him, um, when they put Eric Flowers out there over Chad Wheeler, it's because, in my assumption, they think that Eric Flowers is a better player than Chad Wheeler. It doesn't matter what I think. So when they put Chad Wheeler out there this week, there was something that they saw that they thought he would perform better this week yeah, um, than and Eric I actually, Flowers. So. I actually uh, texted the grump during the game with a little conspiracy theory that I had, because I am ever the conspiracist. Um I was thinking that because they're playing Houston and it's going to be, you know, just a ridiculous pass rush, they were going to start him because they didn't want the the heat of having, you know, Flowers out there again because he would be the scapegoat again and the noise would be super loud. I mean, J.J. Watt had three sacks. If he had three – let's put it this way. If J.J. Watt had three sacks against Eric Flowers, this town would still be in an uproar even if they did win the game. The fact that Chad Wheeler was the right tackle and all that happened – you know, he can just lay it off to, well, you know, they gave him a shot, and this is what happened. You know, we're in a mess. So, you know, Grump smacked me down immediately saying I'm a, I'm a maniac for thinking that, but, you know. Um, no, I don't, I don't think that's true. I, I, think, I, I think your conspiracy theory has a little bit of merit, but more so if this were like week 14. Um, given that it's week three of a new regime that has a bit of a leash, I think right now they're more concerned about winning, and I think – they saw enough of Eric Flowers, and they've seen Chad Wheeler, who may be better in some areas that Eric Flowers is not and worse at others that Eric Flowers is better at. Um, my yeah. thinking is that being that we saw a lot of the stunts with him and Omame with Eric Flowers and uh, Patrick Omame where nobody was picking up the right guy, it might be that Chad Wheeler's communication skills and understanding of who he's supposed to be blocking is better, even if he's not a better blocker. Um, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah. And, it could and be also, something like that. It also be something where, you know, we don't know because practice is always closed that they just had enough of Eric Flowers. Should be. You know, yeah, it's it, just, could be. it could be one of those things that's like, you know, something, you know, they're tired of an attitude issue. They're tired of his, you know, something might have happened that just might have said, you know, enough to pull the ripcord. So um, we'll never know that answer. And also, to be very honest, um, Pat Schirmer did not have a very good week media relations wise with the fans and stuff. You know, he came across, you know, the Mike Francesa interview he did Monday and we can laugh and say, oh, it's Francesa. But to a lot of the average giant fan, they listen to those interviews every week. And he came across as very Ben McAdoo-ish, um, a guy that was, you know, I, I use this expression all the time, winning the spring. I mean, he was. You know, the breath of fresh air, the guy who can joke and say all the right things, you know, during the off season and during the town halls and stuff. But, you know, the first bit of, um, you know, turmoil, he instantly clammed up and had a little bit of that McAdoo-ish in him. So, you know, I, I, I again, I believe you 100 percent with you know, the goal is to try to win. But that might have been a bone to throw at the fans and also the media that you know they're going to go to the scapegoat, and we both agree that Eric Flowers gets a lot of the scapegoating for the entire some, offense. Not, yeah. yeah, exactly. Not just the offensive line, but the offense. Everyone, the first thing they say, get rid of Flowers when it may not be his fault. So, if they're that close in ability and competition-wise in practice, it might have been something just to kind of 
get the dogs off him for a bit. Maybe speculation on my port. My Ma- port. Maybe. Um, I'm also gonna say that I don't give a shit about Fran. I know other people do. I don't care about Mike Francesa interviews. I'm just gonna say this: media relations in general don't matter to me, and the reason why is because they don't matter to the fans. They just don't know it yet. If if this team is losing and Pat Shermer has an abrasive attitude, I get it. They're annoyed with him. If he has an aw shucks attitude, they're still not going to give a shit. If he puts all the blame on himself, they're still not going to give a shit. The only thing that these fans care about is winning. That's it. And they can say, well, he's such a douche to Mike Francesa. But there's no right answer when you lose. There just I isn't. It. So, I, I, yes, I, I agree with you. The fans don't like shit like that. But what the fans don't realize is that they don't like anything except winning. Oh, I understand that's, that. That's that. But, I mean, we were coming off a very uh, – a public relations disaster of a front, of um, coaching staff fair enough. last year. Yes, fair you know? enough. And, so, and all of a sudden, you know, usually – not 100% of the times, but usually you try to ping-pong off a previous hire. You might go from a player's coach to a hard-ass, back to a, a player's coach. So you, you would – you know, you would think that someone like the hire of Shermer might be a little more of a – media savvy guy just how unsavvy he was and it just comes across that quickly you know does it mean the fans are not going to go to the games anymore because Shermer was a dick in an interview no but you have seen it a million times you were on the on the train of the game sitting next to people at the stadium you just talk to random people at bars they parrot whatever they hear whatever they read and this media market you know, you, you get very limited exposure to the head coaches and coaching staffs. You get the press conference on Tuesday. That interview with Francesa, while we don't think Francesa is a big deal, we don't care, is something that all of the news outlets report on. You know, it, it's an article in the Post on Tuesday. Well, in his weekly thing, McAdoo or uh, Coughlin or whoever said X, Y, and Z. And they ran with that on Tuesday as testy interview. And the average Joe Giant fan who may not spend his entire day on Twitter like we do, may not be listening to this podcast, how dare they if they're not, please subscribe to iTunes and SoundCloud immediately if you're not. But they only get their news from reading the paper while taking a dump on the next morning well, in the office or something. Every and, interview with Frances is a testy one because he has his opinions, and no matter what evidence there is to support the opposite – he has his opinions, and he's right. That's fair. So, I mean, I mean ever, I'm just you saying. You never hear that, though? You but, never hear that with the Eli interviews, really. That's because Eli's a player. I understand. But yeah, still, yeah, like. There's still, once you're a player, there's still the whole, like, well, I mean, he can't do everything. I mean, when you're the coach, yes, you can do everything. You have you are in charge I, of the personnel and the play calling and all this other stuff. So I listen to some, the interview. Yeah. I listened to it live. I listened to it live, so I had no expectation. You know, the Pat Shermer report brought to you by X, Y, and Z. And first question he said was something that was kind of, kind of benign, not too you know hard hitting immediately. And you could tell right away that Shermer was not going to say anything. Was going to be curt and was going to be very short. And it, that really set the tone for the interview more than the questions. And you know. You know how Francesca likes to be the king of his castle, so it, it kind of went south from that. But it was definitely, I thought, set up by him. What does this all mean again? Not that much, but well, definitely nothing if they start winning. If this team no. gets a ten and six record, just throwing that in the air, nobody cares. We will care. Yeah. Anyway, 
I just I just don't care. That's why I'm I'm over it. <laughs> yeah. Um, before we get to Star Wars Infarct, I want to say one thing before we get into this specific game. And I kind of want to clarify my thoughts that I was saying last week about Eli. Um, you know, as we know, we had our meltdown episode last you know Monday night where I thought the world was starting to fall apart. Um, Eli had a fantastic game today. That does not change what my core opinion is about not is Eli finished or not. Is is this is the master plan of this organization and what they're betting on is that can this offensive line be rebuilt to not only adequate to something where we can still utilize Eli Manning as a strength on this team. You know, that timeline of offensive line, is Eli still going to be an effective quarterback? That hasn't changed because of one game. You know, he had time to throw. He looked fantastic. He hit receivers in stride, blah, 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 blah. This offensive line is not yet proven to anybody that it's going to be, it can consistently do what it did today. Hey, in the second half, it wasn't consistent at all. It was awful. So that's kind of what my thing is going to be. So, you know, we're not going to do a weekly uh, state of the franchise, you know, does my opinion change about was it the right decision to not draft a quarterback or something? It's just going to be can we get this offensive line stable and built? It's going to require some more players too to the point we still have usage of Eli Manning. So with that. Yeah, it's it's going to take a couple – we're going to have to look back at this the same way we're going to have to look at the should we have gotten Barkley or Darnold kind yes. of thing. Uh, it's each just going to take time. Yeah, each individual game is not – Going to do it? Did we see a lot of improvement today? Absolutely. Sure, you know, yeah. we saw. You know, forget about Wheeler. Just talk about the rest of the line itself. You know, Barkley was able to do things that he couldn't do in the first couple of games. Uh, you know, Eli had time. Can you consistently do that? You know, every snap, every series, every quarter, every game going forward. That this season is a. I don't even know. It's even a question mark. I don't think it can be consistently done. The question would be, how fast can it all be rebuilt? So yeah, and and along those lines, uh, Saquon Barkley was one of my stars for this game. Uh, right from the get-go, you could see that he was running, and what he's capable of doing uh, with some running room, where the first guy hitting him isn't in the backfield or even at the line of scrimmage. He really is a special player when it comes to contact. Uh, the first guy that hits him is very rarely the one who brings him down, and when you're already five six yards downfield, that becomes so much more valuable as especially as those guys deeper beyond the linebackers are smaller dudes uh so we saw his touchdown run in the first quarter was a 15 yard run where he completely just shook some guy off of him he had a huge lane you know obviously any running back is going to look good with good blocking um but he really is somebody special when it comes to yards after contact and you know speaking to that he had 80 yards rushing 82 yards receiving so that's 162 yards altogether and one touchdown and you know i had outlined that one of the things that i saw the patriots do to hurt the texans was to mismatch the linebackers in coverage and he had a very clutch third down conversion uh with a catch where he was split out wide with zach cunningham that essentially helped ice the game it led to a touchdown later but i think even if it was just a field goal at that point that game was pretty much over because of that catch you know we talk about quarterbacks and you know 
is the right quarterback for this current offensive line need to be a mobile quarterback or can Eli do it? Well, this is the exact type of running back we need for right now. Yes. Someone that, you know, the offensive line's going to get blown up and all of a sudden it's going to somebody be in the backfield. Can he turn a minus three into a no game? You know, that's almost as important as turning a two yard game into a six yard game is preventing second and 13 by making it second and eight. Yeah, it's a big difference. Um, so two things, you know, you're, you're very excited about what he's doing now. But the two things to me is if the if the master plan with Eli works. You know, and the offensive line's good, you have a deadly dangerous weapon to go along with Eli and these the receiving core and stuff that will make this one of the, you know, three or four best offenses in the league and making a Super Bowl run very legitimate. If this plan doesn't work, you know, and we can't get the line in shape in the time needed for Eli to be effective, we still have one of the best running backs in the league. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the rebuild will be a little different. But, we're, again, we're starting with a guy that can create something out of nothing. And you might see nothing for a while. You might see, you know, the heir apparent to Eli being some guy that's just some ham and egger or something. You know, like think of a think of a Danny Cannell type that we had, you know, back in the '90s or something. But he never, ever, ever had a running back or a weapon like this one. Yeah. And oh yeah, by the way, we also have Odell Beckham too, who's another dangerous weapon as well. So. You know, it's very early. We still have a very small sample size with Barkley. You know, God forbid, you know, he has that injury, which everybody seems to have early in their career. We're knocking on wood is, you know, I'm knocking on my head right now. It doesn't happen to him, but damn. (laughs) Watching him, I mean, again, I said this in earlier shows, this is the closest thing I've seen to a Barry Sanders type running back where Mm -hmm. it could be minus two, minus one, 80 yards. Barry Sanders didn't have that first guy is not going to take him down thing like this guy does as well. That's just an added component. Eli Manning. I'm with you there. I mean, the guy took too much of the abuse last week. And, you know, some of it by me also. Mine was more of a long-term concern thing more than his actual play. I mean, last week he did not have time to throw. Today he had time to throw, and he was deadly. Mm-hmm. You know, he, you know... Accurate, hitting his open guys, hitting them in stride. This looked like when everything, all cylinders are firing in the first half and on that last drive for that last touchdown, that's the the dream of what this offense could be. So I think he, when, you, when you pair these two stars together, sorry, not to, not to cut you off, but <laughs> when you look at the numbers, these are like 2007, 2008 numbers for Eli. You know, when you look at the tape, you know, Great throws in stride, like you said, he had protection. But 25 of 29, when was the last time Eli only threw 29 times in a game? Well, I mean, it was probably the last time he had a running back that could run, you know, we ran the ball 25 times, more than that in this game? About 25 times. So, Mm -hmm. you know, 25 of 29 for 300 yards and two touchdowns, those are 2008 numbers for Eli. And I'm not saying he's 2008 Eli, I'm just saying this is kind of what should have been the Jerry Reese plan all along for him. But. Yeah, I mean, we've seen so many games in the past where Eli's had to throw 50 times, yep. 45, 54, because there's not a whiff of a, a running game. And, uh, 
if we can if we can keep Eli in that twenty two to thirty range for passing with big play potential from those twenty two for thirty you know, at a moment's notice, you know, that's that's the element of uh, you know, danger this offense can provide. And because a lot of things are predicated on that, you know, leading versus being behind, you know, of course, uh, you know, where you are in the field and things. But you, I, the the more Eli throws, the bigger chance for problems. Let's put it that way. So, well, yeah, and then the more he drops back, sure. Yeah. Um. Here's another star, an unlikely one, but Kerry Wynn. Oh God. I I don't understand. You know, we talk about this defensive front as being the strength of the defense. You know, the linebackers are a bit of a question as we switch to a 3-4. The secondary, you know, we know what we have in Jenkins and Collins, but the other two spots, you know, Eli Apple is a make-or-break year for him. Curtis Riley, you know, newcomer this year, we weren't really sure he was going to take the job and run for it. And then the depth beyond that, we don't really know. But Kerry Wynn somehow scrapped his way into the mix, this front seven, and I'm sorry, uh, team leading five tackles today and a forced fumble on uh, Lamar Miller at a critical point in a Houston drive, I believe in our red zone, definitely our end of the football field. But you can't understate, you know, how important he was today. Yeah, I mean, remember, I think it was the third preseason game mm-hmm. that Papa and um, Carl Banks were joking around how he was the uh, – you know, in the preseason Hall of Fame for how well he'd been playing, and damn, it looked like just a continuation of that. Yeah, I saw a tweet that was pretty funny. I wish I remember who said it, but probably um, the cranky fan. But go ahead. No, 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 it wasn't you. Um, but <clears throat> somebody's saying that Kerry Wynn was playing like it's a preseason game out there, or he was in <laughs> uh, mid-preseason form, or some, something along those lines. It's pretty funny. It's a good one. <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and yeah, I. I I think that when this year started and we were switching to a 3-4, I really had him on the bubble. You know, before, right. before preseason, before training camp, you know, I'm just kind of writing down names and looking at the roster and I really I seriously had him on the bubble because I wasn't sure how he was going to do in the 3-4 and you know, it's a whole new coaching staff. He's an undrafted free agent, so they have no ties to him. He was really going to have to earn his way up there. And I mean, he could start if somebody's injured. And I don't think any of us would be too upset with that. Not right now. No. You see how you have to how he'd handle a load of playing ninety percent of the snaps would be, you know. Yeah. Well, of course, but yeah. But for right now, sure. I mean, absolutely integral part of the rotation for sure. You know, and I would also give this entire defense kind of a star because again, we went into this game with no Olivier Vernon again and mm-hmm. no Eli Apple. You know, two. <laughs> Critical guys on on this defense, you know, Vernon for his leadership and probably being, you know, one of our two or three best players in Apple just because of the lack of depth back there in the secondary and uh, the way everybody stepped up was just, uh, it was really needed in a critical juncture. So yeah, I mean, there there were some drives where I was getting a little nervous, you know, but considering like you, like you said, all things considered with Apple down. B.W. Webb starting with Lorenzo Carter being forced into a starting role. Connor Barwin, who is, you know, limited most of the week, forced into significant playing time this week. They did a damn good job. And, you know, I didn't give him a star because he still hasn't really hit the stat sheet hard. But Kareem Martin continues to be in the backfield consistently. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to have a breakout game. I mean, we also, on this show, we, we talked about the tackle situation for Houston and how this was a chance to really take advantage. Uh, and they, they did a really good job game planning this game defensively. I, I have a fart to give for okay. sure. Who is the color commentator in this game today? Rondé Barber. Rondé Barber gets a fart because at least three times he was calling the wrong names of people. Yes. He was talking about somebody who was on the other team. Yep. And Kenny Albert, who's you know really one of my favorite play-by-play guys. I, I, I love Same. him. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. The one time when he was like talking about these, oh, he's on the other team, he just very professionally kind of didn't call him out for it but kind of corrected him in a way that was just – if you didn't catch the subtlety of it, you wouldn't even notice. So, you know, Rondé Barber, an absolute fart, <laughs> in my opinion. He's. I think qualified. I think he's good. I think he provides some good insight into, you know, certainly more than Troy Aikman. But yeah, I think he needs to do a little bit more prep work before a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I I have a, I have a legitimate fart though. I think the offensive conservative play calling in the second half. Um, it wasn't just a lack of execution. It was a bit of a lack of adjustment. The, the blocking started to fall apart a little bit. And quite frankly, it just seemed like the play calling was not was not there at the beginning of the second half. And until the Giants scored that insurance touchdown at the end, it was a nail-biter for me. I, I'm being completely serious. I was I thought I was watching us give the game away. Yeah, I mean... I just we sort were... of like, uh, we'll just run the ball and... And I'm sitting there like we're not even testing them down the field. So. Yeah, I wasn't as concerned about that because, again, we had a, a, a big enough lead and you should be able to run the ball. It's one of those things. Let's do a little gut testing time. With you know, I didn't like, and I, I alluded to it in the very beginning, was in the second half we stopped giving help yes. on the right side to Chad Wheeler. Now part of that might be because Evan Ingram was out. Mm-hmm. And we, we now have a – you know, we're recording this. It's now – 10:57 on Sunday night. Do we have an update on his status? What happened? Uh, I don't. Um, I tried to look that up just before we started recording. Uh, and also, Damon Harrison went out early in the game. Well, I think the second half. Mm-hmm. And there seems to be mixed accounts of why he was out. Whether it was they were no longer running the ball, or if he was actually hurt. Mm-hmm. So nobody really knows right now what's going on with Snacks. Ingram, but, but it, Ingram was walking. Uh, I think he was on the sideline. I think they just felt like with the lead they had, they didn't need to put him back in there, so they just took him out. Right, so he was not getting that tight end chip help, and he suffered greatly. And that, to me, is not so much like of a play-calling thing. That's just kind of like a schematic thing where I think they kind of, you know, that caused problems because J.J. Watt is the heart and soul of that team. And he went off, and the crowd fed off of his going-offness. And, you know... We're lucky that one of those sacks didn't cause a patented, you know, Eli sack fumble or something, or or, or a sack turnover. I think he had one fumble, I think, and he recovered it, if I remember. But yes, that to me, that to me, a bit is a bit of a fart of just not that type of adjustment. Yeah, and Wheeler in general, I gave a fart to. I, I didn't think he played poorly, but I, I can't look at the stat sheet in all honesty and give him not not give him a fart. I mean, he, did he played not... worse. He played worse this week than Flowers did last week. Yes, I would agree with that. But overall, the whole line played better. Oh, yeah. You know, whatever. But, again, if the coaching staff feels that Chad Wheeler is the best option right now, then I am fully behind them because they know things that I don't, being that they see these guys every day. So 
you know, again, when I criticize, I'm just criticizing what I'm able to see. I can only guess everything else. So. Oh, yeah. A lot of the things we saw were the things that you had mentioned and even some of the smart writers out there were saying were the, some of the, the correctable things on the on the offensive line. Yeah. You know, it was a lot better communication. We, we saw, you know, gap coverage was better this week than last week. So those are things we weren't too overly concerned about. We, we say it's part of that growing process and that gelling and work and process situation. Um, but the fact is we still have a major problem on the right side of the line. Yeah. And that's just, that's just the way it's going to be this year. And again, don't go looking for the offensive line um, or the offensive tackle fairy because he's not coming. You know, if we want to do the week by week, how do you feel about the team? How do you feel right now? Do you feel that? Uh... I think you said it all right there. If if in fact what we saw from the offensive line this week was a step in the direction that they have as a ceiling, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if they're sort of sort of just walking that direction towards the ceiling, and they're not at the ceiling right now. Um, and it's all just a matter of gelling together and getting the communication together, then I feel good because this was a tough test for them. They executed everything pretty well. You know, I I can't complain about over 100 yards on the ground, uh, about 300 yards passing, three touchdowns. I can't complain about those numbers. So if that is the case, if they are making strides and heading towards their potential, then I feel very good about this team. If, in fact, this was just a very well-executed game plan and it's going to be week-to-week, you know, there are obvious problems with this team. Um, Again, the goal here is for improvement over last year. We are one-third of the way there. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I guess a a quarter of the way there. Well, it's not even even improvement. It's consistency as well as improvement. Yeah. You know, we, we... You can't change the personnel on this team for the rest of the year, but you can change, you know, the, the consistency of the good play versus the bad play and seeing more of one and less in the other. So if we can see more consistency from the offensive line, more consistency of a pass rush, more consistency of Eli, you know, in his play, you know, more consistency of the of a commitment to the running game. That's from the coaching staff as well as the players. Then I think we're all going to feel better about ourselves mm-hmm. as we go into next year. Again, nobody, you know, the don't worry about playoffs. Don't even lead the well, you know, there's 11% chance that blah, blah. no one cares Fuck right that. now. Fuck that's that. not what this is. That's not what this is about. And there's a sure, 2% chance that there'd be four teams with a tie at this point. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, there's probably a good chance you are more than just a very casual Giants fan. Yes. So, you know, you understand that you probably are a a long-term fan who understands that it's not about next week or nothing. It's about building. It's about a process. So, you know, I feel better this week than I did about last week about the process of building this team. We have to see that consistency and more and more of it against better competition. Also, let's not kid ourselves. This is the Houston Texans. You know, Mm -hmm. this wasn't Kansas city or this wasn't, uh, you know, Kansas city looks unstoppable this year. I mean, truly, well, the only thing, the only thing that will stop them will be their head coach in a playoff game or in a you know, just just saying that <laughs> I got two minute warning or something. <laughs> I was a big fan of Patrick Mahomes and he is Oof. really lighting it up. Um, yeah. I, I I guess you know we're gonna get into this later on this week, but they have a very different matchup coming up uh, against New Orleans next week. 
It's a very different offense. It's going to require very different defense, and they have a v- probably the best quarterback that they're going to that they've seen so far. Um, and for sure, and by far the best coach that they've seen so far. So for sure, <laughs> um, it's going to be very different. And if they lose next week, I'm. It's not about the end result when you're rebuilding like this. It's about, yeah. like you said, building. If they lose, but you know they're really hanging around. I'm still going to feel pretty good. I'll be pissed, but I'll still feel better than I did last year where you just saw the same things week in and week out and just an embarrassment. This so. is a super this is a Super Bowl contender we're facing next week. Yeah. Who has a track record of blowing us out the doors with a, you know, an amazing offense. Although we've had better success against them at home. Yes, yeah, so, uh, 2 than, years ago we won. That's right. Uh, we were there. That's right. So right, you want you wanted to see the increase in in talent you're playing against to kind of challenge that team to have more consistency can you replicate what you did against a you know an 0-3 team against a team that could you know very well go to the Super Bowl and uh and adjust from there so I'm excited about uh New Orleans week for sure yep and you can catch our preview episode Friday morning um just be sure to follow the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud give us a five-star review if you please we work very hard at this actually (laughs) <laughs> that's right we've been over a couple of beers did all our analysis and stuff so <laughs> <laughs> you could catch me as always on twitter at the cranky fan i had a very long alcoholic consumptuous weekend down in knoxville tennessee as my florida gators beat the hated tennessee volunteers this weekend great weekend lots of fun so hopefully if you're following along on twitter you saw all the pictures and all my shenanigans down there so um yeah, and also check out my companion podcast, Mark and the Cranky Fan, where we talk about the Gators in more detail. So um, working on some big announcements coming soon for some more things I'm working on. So just kind of uh, hang tight for that. So Yeah, Cranky Fan's a very, very good follow for all of you college football. You know, fans are guys who like watching, you know, future NFL players, etc. The SEC is the prime spot for talent. So... You know, four, uh, four, four top ten teams right now yeah. in the SEC. But, you know, he's got the inside track, so following him is a good idea. Um, you can follow me on Twitter for some less enlightening stuff. Um, I'm <laughs> at football underscore grump where I just kind of argue my point, what I see, you know, correct people. Ca- calls out hypocrisy and bullshit anywhere <laughs> he sees it. Um and, you know, I, I try my best to live tweet games. My phone is on its last legs battery-wise, so, you know, I he's the only to be person, near a charger today. So He's the only guy with a rotary cell phone, so <laughs> give him a break. Zach Morris and I are actually really good friends. So. <laughs> um, okay, preppy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Go Giants. Go Giants. <laughs>